0: South listeners, we are back after our mid-season break, rested in bringing you a double episode about college football. This episode, however, may not be what you're used to when you hear people talk about football, because this episode is with five women talking about a game they know and love. Many people already know that I love television, but more than I love television, I love football. It is one of the pure joys in my life, but I recognize that that joy is complicated and it's certainly problematic. It encompasses issues ranging from gender inequity to labor politics and the use of Native American mascots. So this week, I sit down with four women to talk about the problematic nature of football, our own fandom, and where we see ourselves fitting within Southern football culture none of us renounce our allegiance to our teams or renounce our fandom of the sport but we take a hard look at what it means to love a sport that doesn't always love us back with me this week is chris townsend alex patafio and stephanie roundtree along with co-producer kelly vines these women are smart and they're funny and this represents only a selection of our conversation indeed many of the topics we discussed deserve their own episode. But this is what we offer you now. And with that, we welcome you to the Fall Football Double Episode feature. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. So we're here at About South. It is the week after the opening of college football season, which is probably the real holiday most of us celebrate. This week I had a meeting um, about being on the board of a local arts organization and they asked me, they said, the big question is Dragon Con or Decatur Book Festival? And I looked looked at the guy and I said, Auburn football (laughs) home opener? And he was like, oh. And then I didn't know if that was the right answer. (laughs) But that is what I was doing. Um, So, We knew we had to do an episode about football, and Kelly and I were going through who we would possibly talk to, and we were cycling through all of these dudes' names. But then I realized that every season, I watch football with an excellent group of women, and maybe we have some people, some men hangers on, but why don't we just do this ourselves? Because contrary to public opinion, women do watch and understand and football. love. And yeah. love, love football. <laughs> so that's, we're here bringing you the women in football episode, which will probably be the only episode my mother actually listens to <laughs> because she does not listen to the podcast. So let's get started. We all have drinks. Cheers. 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 So who do we have here today? We have Kelly Vines, co-producer. Hey, Kelly. Hi. Kelly... I'm gonna to try to do everyone's football biography and see if I can get this right, and then we'll do. You can do your own, so we'll see if Cut I. It. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if Tina really knows me, yeah, I, I know. I, yeah, you're gonna be a challenge. Okay, so. I um, know. Kelly grew up a UGA fan, went to UGA, transferred to Georgia State at some point, met her wonderful significant other William, who is a Georgia Tech alum and then renounced her UGA fanship and became a Georgia Tech fan? And now she's a graduate student at LSU. Now these are all agape right now. I, I would say that's pretty accurate, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Stephanie grew up between Florida and Texas, maybe was a Florida State fan growing up. Mm-hmm.
1: I was raised a Florida Gator. My whole family went to UF. <gasps> Another conversion. I was born in Gainesville. Mm-hmm.
0: Whoa, okay, so then you we born in Gainesville. Then you lived in Texas. Were you a UT fan?
1: No, not really. We still followed the Gators.
0: Okay. Then at some point, which we'll talk about later, your <laughs> life was changed by cheerleading. My father
1: almost disowned me.
0: <laughs> and then you went to Florida State. Go Knolls. But you were married to an Auburn fan. That is correct. Okay. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I am an Auburn fan, but I did grow up an NC State fan. Mm. And now... I occasionally pull for Carolina because I have an alternate allegiance.
2: Oh. Mm. Sorry. unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but really, I I was
0: born Wolfpack, Wolfpack born. Mm -hmm. Okay. Chris grew up a Florida State fan. I did. But then got a cross-country scholarship to UGA But if she's not pulling for UGA and the SEC, she pulls for Auburn. I don't know why. Maybe just because she wanted to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to
2: be fair, Auburn's always been, they've treated us nice. Running. They're
3: super good fans.
2: They are. Mm-hmm. They're awesome fans. I married one. Um, yeah. yeah. They're, They're the great.
3: nicest fans of any SEC game I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: They're the nicest hosts when we go to uh, run cross country and things. So I've, I've never had any beef against Auburn whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And one of my best friends went there, too, mm-hmm. that I ran um, cross country with in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. So,
0: Alex... I met at an Auburn game because she started dating Chris, (laughs) and I'm going to guess that you grew up a UGA fan.
3: Actually, I grew up a Nittany Lions fan. (gasps) What? So my dad went to Penn State um, all four years and got a master's there. He almost played football there, so it was a huge, we were a huge Nittany Lions house. We, like, worshipped Penn State football, but... Everybody knows what happened with Joe Paterno and the rest of the coaching staff. And after that scandal, I kind of, just because of my personal beliefs and, like, my moral compass, just really couldn't feel like I could support the athletic
0: program anymore. Mm -hmm.
3: So I was kind of a wandering, like, lost soul. Like, I didn't have a team
0: (laughs) to appreciate. A free agent.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I was a free agent, a football fan free agent. And... My sister's at UGA right now, and I date Chris, who's also on this podcast, who is a huge Florida State fan. So I I vacillate between Florida State and UGA. Those are my two primary teams. But, of course, because she appreciates Auburn, I appreciate Auburn as well. Mm-hmm. I have a, just a very hybrid fan of everything.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, okay, so here we have two patterns. One, none of us currently pull for the team we were born into, with the exception of maybe Chris, but you have these alternate UGA, Auburn,
2: Mm -hmm. correct. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. So that already undoes one thing, because a lot of, when you read a lot about football, maybe it's just men that say, they're all like, oh, you're just born into the team. And that's true, but like you're allowed to also choose. Who you pull for, like as if you don't. And you know who else says this? (laughs) Alabama fans. That's so true.
3: I don't know why there's like a bloodline allegiance to Alabama more so, I think, than any other
0: team. It's called mm-hmm. uninformed choice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> as you can tell, we have no Alabama fans in the room currently, a couple of Auburn fans. No
1: love lost here. Yeah. <laughs> so, the one thing we can't agree on is Alabama's
0: terrible. <laughs> um, you and you don't, it is not as if whatever you were born into is your fate. So, to back it up, I'm going to ask everyone to go around. Um, We'll start, uh, Kelly, we'll start with you. What was your relationship to football growing up?
4: Uh, So, I can, I guess, uh, growing up, I was really close with my grandfather. Um, He was just an amazing person. He passed away in 2010. Um, And I grew up pretty much just very close with him I lived with him he was really wonderful and I came to football through him um, and he was a big UGA fan <laughs> he still has like a repository of UGA memorabilia mm-hmm. uh, at my grandmother's house that I um, am set to inherit uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which puts me in a little bit of a predicament <laughs> um, uh, and and they're his things so I'm still very excited to, to have them um, But yeah, so I uh, spent Saturdays in the fall sitting with him on our couch, and uh, we would watch UGA games on the TV, and he would have the radio on next to us, uh, listening to the Larry Munson calls on the radio, uh, which is, as a UGA fan, like, I I don't know how common this is in other places, uh, if there are famous radio announcers that are much more famous Mm -hmm. than, like the TV announcers, but mm-hmm. that, that was like a pretty common practice in our house, to the radio and the TV on mute and like listening to Larry Munson. So much yeah. so that like when I went to UGA, and this is gonna be really corny you guys, so Do I, it. just wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first game at UGA as a student, as I was like walking up to you know the freshman nosebleed section, they have you know the ramp up video where they're playing all of the famous calls from Larry Munson. And I just like have all of these memories from my childhood, and I just start sobbing. And I'm just like, this is the like weirdest freshman moment ever. Just like walking up in my like you know fourth week of class, just just sobbing to Larry Munson. That's that's what gets me, right? Like that's the moment. It's just like you oh, made it to Bulldog Mecca. I'm here, and now it's Larry Munson on the like jumbotron. That's the thing that's making me cry. Were other people crying? I was sort of having my own moment. (laughs) I wouldn't know if other people were crying. Yeah. But probably. um, Actually, when Larry Munson died, um, right after he died, the uh, Georgia Tech UGA game was being played at Tech. And the Tech uh, band let the UGA band have the field. And, um, you know, my grandfather just passed away. Larry Munson had just passed away. Oh, no. <laughs> um,
3: more water work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: so the 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 UJ band did a tribute to the Redcoats did a tribute to Larry Munson. They spelled his name out on the field. It's awesome. And they played, and it was just a beautiful little show of unity, which is like part of like the com- the conflict that I had when I renounced my fanship. Mm-hmm. There are air quotes there. Um, <laughs> 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 I know you can't see that on the radio. Um, and part of that was like due to a lot of the like, fan conflicts that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a really beautiful show of unity. And then I also was crying at that point, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was,
0: that
4: was my relationship. That's it. it. Yeah. Cool.
0: Awesome. Stephanie, what was your
1: relationship to football? Uh, it was diverse. So my father was <laughs> in sports licensing in the um, second half of the 20th century. And in the 70s, when the NCAA started licensing football teams and controlling images and things. Um, he was down in Florida making that trek between Miami, Tallahassee, and Gainesville selling freshly licensed t-shirts to Eckerd's all over town. You guys remember Eckerd's oh, back yeah. when that was a thing? Oh, yes. Um, and so... It's I a drugstore for people who don't know. Yeah, do yeah a drugstore. Drug yes, yes. yes. What, yes. Is
3: what is currently Rite Aid. Yeah, yes, what is Rite Aid now. Eckerd. Eckerd.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a place place where my daddy sold sports sports, sports t-shirts. And so my relationship with football was very much as a Gator. Um, There are plenty of images of me that I try to keep suppressed uh, in Gator cheerleader outfits. Um, But I remember, watching the game with my dad and on top of him explaining sort of the way the game worked was also and just so you know in daddy's warehouse there are you know 10,000 UGA shirts and only 5,000 Gator shirts so we're hoping UGA wins or whatever the case may be because if whoever was um, preferred that particular game uh, was the person who they made the majority of the printed you know screen shirts for, so um, the ones that didn't win got shipped off to you know starving children around the world. That's kind of I imagined a bunch of like old poor Super Bowl yeah. player T-shirts that my dad printed and never could sell, you know. So anyway, that's my that was my first relationship to football, and uh, by the time I moved to Atlanta, I switched from dance and piano to cheerleading and it became extremely competitive. And perhaps one of the most um, significant memories of that era in Atlanta was um, as a JV head uh, cheerleader, I called all of the cheers. And there were multiple times when we were calling like, hold that line, cheers, when we had the ball. And my coach was like, no, no, you're trying to get a first down, call the right cheer. <laughs> and so at JV is where you sort of work out how to interpret football if you're gonna be the head cheerleader. Uh, and so by the time I moved to Dallas, where it was like national competition, our football team, uh, Louisville High School, I got a shout out to my Fighting Farmers. We uh, played in the Cowboy Stadium and like sold out. And uh, the cheerleaders, we traveled nationally and competed. And um, Our football team won, you know, 5A Texas high school football, you know, in 1993, 1996. So when we were there in 99, it was every three years and it didn't work out that year, but um, it was religion. So uh, I got to Florida State, even though I was raised as a UF fan, because they had a more superior cheerleading squad. I got into both, visited both, but Florida State, they meant business. Um, I didn't make it. (laughs) But I still went anyway. And I think it was the right decision. It still broke my daddy's heart, but he's got a couple of uh, Garnet and Gold shirts, so we're good.
0: Do you identify with Lila Garrity on Friday Night Lights?
1: (laughs) I actually avoided watching that show entirely because I lived it. (laughs) As a head cheerleader and a nationally competitive co-ed cheerleading squad for a state competitive football team, I didn't need to watch that to know what happened in Texas football on Friday night. (laughs) You've
0: never watched Friday Night Live? I've seen
1: an episode or two, enough to know what it's about, but I genuinely did not want to relive that again. It was fun and great, but I got the real thing. I do not need to watch someone
2: dramatize my childhood.
1: Chris, what was your
0: relationship to football growing up?
2: Oh, geez, let's see. Um, well, my dad, he actually played football when he was in um, junior high school, but he was actually a track star as well. So he quit and ended up doing track and cross country. But um, my dad also coached high school football for a minute. Um, that was before I was born, though. But he's always been really into football and wrestling, too. That was his huge thing. Um but they've always, um, and my mom and dad grew up in Miami, actually, and they didn't like the city, so they actually picked the college furthest from Miami, which happened to be Florida State. Go Knowles! Um, they actually went to the same high school too, and they did not meet until they went to Florida State. They worked, um, they worked together actually, so that was that was cool. But. Um, yeah, my, my parents are diehard Florida State fans, um, mainly baseball though. Baseball's their number one, so baseball is huge in my house, but football is right up there too. So I remember pictures of, of me, my sister and my brother, we would have Florida State onesies on and we were, we were in Tallahassee all the time <laughs> for every homecoming game. We had to watch everything Wait, an where actual, did you live? We lived in Tifton. So I grew up oh, in South okay. Georgia. So it was about an hour and a half to drive down there, but they were down there all the time. So I I should have lived in Tallahassee. I don't know why my parents didn't just live there. <laughs> why did you end
0: up, did you go to UGA for the scholarship? I did. Did you consider going to Florida State? And
2: oh, 100%. Um, this is a funny story. I actually wanted to go and run cross country for Florida State, but... It happened when I graduated, Florida State's cross-country team actually um, was halfway non-existent. They had lost their coach, and they had too many injuries, so they couldn't even compete for the um, ACC. With that being said, and me being out of the state, it was way more expensive to go. Um, I was also looking at a couple other colleges in Georgia, um, but if I stayed in Georgia, I had to go to UGA. Uga was the most accommodating. I loved the campus. Um, it was a great school. So I'm a dogs fan too, obviously, but Florida State comes number one because i i grew up I grew up with that. But um, yeah.
0: So Kelly, you're still more a UGA fan than a Georgia Tech fan. No, you're more a Georgia Tech fan. Yeah. So your second team is your first love now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Stephanie, you're more of a Florida State fan than a Gator at all. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Chris, you're more of a Florida State than a UGA.
2: I am, and I actually have a funny story about that, too. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which I got a lot of... um, So in my dorm room and when I got my own apartment at UGA, I had my Florida State stuff up all the time. And as you can imagine, that didn't go so well with some people, even though we never play each other, except for that one time, which I don't want to talk about. (laughs) Um, We don't talk about that one. Um, It was the Sugar Bowl, it was bad memories. But that was actually really split, that game actually, how the Georgia fans reacted to the game, because I was at Georgia at the time, I was watching the game. I'm a pretty good fan. Uh, I mean, I love cheering for my team, but some of my friends got a little nasty with it, and then it kind of really had a huge divide between me and Georgia, actually. So that kind of split me, um, and that's why I kind of like Auburn and uh, other teams. And the SEC. <laughs> Kelly, so, you yeah. have a
0: similar experience with UGA fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. That I mean, I think we're, I think we're probably going to talk about this a little more later because mm-hmm. I think it probably fits into other things. But I think, like, yeah, that's exactly my experience. Mm-hmm. William has season tickets for Georgia Tech games, and I just really love watching football. I love mm-hmm. the whole social experience of going mm-hmm. to games not necessarily like even watching it on TV, I like being there, like being in the crowd, right? Um, and so I was going to all of the Tech games with him, but then also, you know, when we would go to the rivalry game, we would go to the Georgia Tech UGA game, I would still wear my red black. Like that was, and we would like, you know, talk to one another all day, like, jab each other one all day long, you know? Um, and then we would go to UGA we would go to Athens and like people would just insult him all day long and it was an entirely different experience for me being in the being in the student section and then being in like the you know general admission by ticket section like it was really brutal and people would just insult him and then expect to high five me just because we're wearing the same colors and I'm like I'm holding his hand. Like, we're walking through the space together. (laughs) Like, I have no, like, my allegiance to this football team does not supersede my allegiance to my partner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know why you would expect that. (laughs) Um, So I was like, well, now I'm just going to wear white and gold. And if we're insulted, we're insulted together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it's going to be.
0: I don't mean to insult UGA fans on this podcast, but it's interesting that both of you... I didn't know you had both had experiences with maybe badly-behaved UGA fans. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. I think the students who are fans there, with few exceptions, like when I was a student there, pretty much all of my fellow students, all the people that I was around personally, were all very respectful to one another Mm -hmm. um, and to their fellow fans, but a lot of the people who are in other sections of the stadium can just be really brutal. Mm-hmm. And I think I've heard a lot of stories since then of, like, you know, recently Auburn fans having bottles thrown at them, you know, being threatened physically <laughs> walking through Athens. and
3: Yeah, you two are not the only two people that have had this yeah. happen to you yeah. at all. I mean, I've that's part of the reason why I choose to, like, root for the Knolls over the Bulldogs whenever I have the option because yeah. – Every UGA game I've been to, specific to UGA, I'm not even talking about, I'm not trying, and and like I said, because my sister's there, it's not like I have any personal vendetta against UGA, but I mean, I just have, and even basketball, it's not just football, it's it's UGA fans in general. I don't know what the deal is, but it's definitely gotten out of line more times in Athens than it has anywhere else, for me, personally,
0: so.
1: Hmm. Maybe, yeah, go ahead. I just wonder if that's a, college football thing, if that's a college age thing, because my experience, of course, as a Florida State alum, is that they are impeccable fans and that they're just delightful. But my father, as a Florida Gator who has gone to many uh, games in Tallahassee, would beg to differ (laughs) that our fans are quite as charming as we think they are. And so I wonder if it's UGA or if it's just football and the age and the alcohol and the hype the religiosity right like I wonder if it's unique to a university well, So
4: um, when William my partner lived in Richmond we traveled we traveled with with George Tech. We went to nearly every ACC stadium ever because <laughs> uh, we weren't really based in Atlanta so we would go to a lot of the games in North Carolina, all the games in Virginia. Um, and then most of the games in Georgia um, as well. So we went to a lot of different stadiums. And, like, it is very particular to a couple of stadiums that, like, the environment becomes very hostile very quickly. Mm. Um, and actually, like, you know, sometimes it's the college-aged people, uh, the students, but a lot of times, like, it's not. Mm. Like, it's not specific to the 18- to 21-year-old demographic, really. Um I've noticed that a lot of times, it's specifically not those groups because I think there are a lot of programs designed to just be like, here's how we act, right? Like, especially with fraternities and sororities, like, this is part of your service and part of being an ambassador about the school, right? Is that you, this is how you act, right? Mm -hmm. Who are the people who are showing up at the games, right? Mm -hmm.
0: I think, too, that, I mean, because I tend to believe in the mythology of Auburn, is like we're the nicest people in the world, um, and I will cite an article that was in the South Carolina student newspaper called "Welcome to Auburn" about how going to a game at Auburn is like you've entered into an alternate universe of "Welcome to Auburn," and I think he says they even recycled um, because yeah, like a lot of like crunchy nice kids go to Auburn. However. I was recently rereading, because I teach this book in my class, Warren St. John's Rammer Jammer Yellow Hammer mm. uh, when he travels around. He was raised an Alabama fan, so we have to take everything he said with, with a grain of salt. <sighs> but he was talking about being in an Auburn-Alabama game at Auburn, and he had been describing Auburn fans as just nasty, awful people. And I was my hackles were way up. And then he gets to a point, and he mentions a guy who I actually maybe kind of dated in college. I don't know. It's weird. I ran into him this weekend. So I just taught, like, mentioned him in my grad class. Now I ran into this man. So I don't know why I'm saying this on the podcast. <laughs> 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 but, but when I'm reading Warren St. John's book and then I see this guy's name that I knew, I'm like, it made it real for me. And then he's talking about this one Iron Bowl where the... um. Alabama won, they weren't supposed to. It was the Mike DeBose era. They weren't supposed to win, they did. There was a rumor they were gonna cut down the tree, tumors tree with chainsaws. Um, the rumor was they were either gonna roll the tree or cut it down with a chainsaw. And the idea of busting out a chainsaw Tumor's corner after a game is like Friday the 13th. Like it's the worst, that would be terrible. So all the Auburn fans had gone to barricade the tree to save it from the crazy chainsaw masker Alabama fans. <laughs> And this woman walks past me and she's in like hound tight houndstooth pants and like a fedora, like houndstooth fedora, houndstooth pants. She was like, just every cliche of like someone who goes to Alabama that I just don't like. And she, I remember this. She was like, roll tide. And I looked at her and I said, go fuck yourself. (laughs) 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 And... And then I thought, oh my God, like Warren St. John is describing being in this exact same place at the exact same time that I know I was. And I was so mad about how he was representing people. But I remember in that moment I told this woman, you know, go fuck yourself. And then I thought, oh, like I am, I am the person that mm-hmm. I don't think exist. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of mythology, but I do kind of believe still that Auburn people. We take being nice as like a point of pride, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean it's genuine. It's just like we think if even if we're gonna lose the damn football game, we are gonna out nice you. <laughs>
1: like,
0: we may <laughs> suck at football, but we do not suck at being nice. So
1: like, does, the, does the SEC need to add a miscongeniality? Congeniality. Harvard wins
0: how we feel. So is it really being nice if we're just like doing it to like, like it's a, we're aggressively nice. Like it's a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to cycle back, Alex, what was your relationship to football growing oh,
3: up? Well, I guess, so my dad, because he was a Penn State fan, obviously both of my parents came from up north where football's not as religious of an experience as it is down south. And I don't ever remember the house worshiping football as much as my dad like kind of just having it on in the background, but when I got older, and I grew up in the South, so as I got older, I started realizing like, oh my gosh, my high school football game is like the event to be at. And I didn't really start loving football at all until I was a cheerleader so i was a cheerleader my i started cheerleading in seventh grade and i was cheering i went to a little catholic school in roswell georgia shout out queen of angels um and i cheered for the jv or the the like middle school version of the cheerleaders at the high school adjacent which was blessed trinity where i went for two more years and that's where I learned about football. That's where I learned the game and, and like the difference between defense and offense. As stupid as that sounds, I mean I just had no idea what I was watching when my dad had it on because it was always in the background. We never sat together and like he didn't explain it to me, so how am I supposed to know? But um, I think, you know, generally speaking, my household was never like as big of a fan as like Chris's household or something, but
0: I I grew up with it there. So many people, it feels like grandfathers or dads were your entree. Yours was cheer. And also, we have this weird cheerleader connection. Yeah. <laughs> I think my relationship growing up kind of mirrors, diverges in one significant way, but mirrors in another, which really my mom is the football fan in the family. I mean, my it's dad played football and my dad loves football. But growing up, they had NC State season tickets. My mom, my dad, my uncle, and aunt. And my uncle being my dad's brother. So we did always all go to the games together. So my mom, though, still has season tickets. Like, my mom knows everything about pretty much football. And, like, even after my parents split up, after we stopped going to games, my aunt and uncle let go of their season tickets for different reasons. But my mom, like, we would go to the games and just, like, learning through her, like her teaching me about the game. We had a conversation this morning while I was walking the foster dog, um, probably like an hour conversation on offensive strategy and why Auburn can't, like a three quarterback is not an offensive game plan. Um, Gus Mazan if you're listening. Having three quarterbacks is not an offensive <laughs> game plan. That, that is not a plan for anything. So, um, so my while my dad like appreciates football, it was really like, it's really my mom was the football fan. The other thing is I wasn't a cheerleader, but I was a majorette. And we've re upped on the beers, so the conversation's about to get even better. So, one, two, three. Sorry. Ooh, girls. Oh. All right. So, now that we've kind of covered the biographical, we have to address the elephant in the room, I guess, which is women and football in the South. This is a serious. Like, it is actually kind of a serious issue. Like, I can't go to a bar by myself and watch a football game or some guy saddles up to me and acts like I'm a dog riding a bicycle (laughs) that he, like, just can't believe that he's watching. And then he tries to talk to me, and I'm like, I don't understand why you can't see that I'm watching a football game right now. Right. Also, why don't you know anything about football? I mean, (laughs) I have a lot of questions. But it is an uneasy relationship. So I would be curious to hear uh, what you ladies think about this. How do we fit into football culture, or do we? I don't think we do in the
3: South as much as we would anywhere else in the country. I think when you look at the way that football is treated in the South, coming from – a family with northern parents and all my family up north and, you know, totally different culture, my parents don't embody any southern values at all. So everything's here, even though I grew up here, does feel foreign when it comes to, you know, the relationship that I have to my actual home life. Um, and I think when you look at, sorry, back to the, what I was saying before, when you look at, like, the way that football's treated in the south, you have to examine it from a broad perspective, less about the sport, more about the culture of the South in general, which tends to be more, I don't want to get political, but right-leaning and, and conservative, which also lends to a more, hate to say this, a less progressive you know, way of thinking about the role of women in anything. So when you have a woman who is doing something that's traditionally a male-dominated thing, or cares about something that's traditionally a male-dominated thing, you're looked at as more of an ornament or you're looked at in a way that you know you're doing this only for male attention which is why men saddle up next to you gina at the bar when you're trying to watch a game by yourself and drink a couple beers like it's it's a problem that i don't necessarily know how to address but i don't know if anybody else has had an experience like that i know every time i'm watching any type of sport it is assumed that i know nothing about it and that I'm doing it solely for male gaze, which clearly I'm not considering one of these women on my on the podcast is my future wife. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know how wrong you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> only you knew. Alright, <laughs> so I mean that's just my general take on it.
2: Other other folks? Well then I have a different experience than anyone because of the way I look. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I get a free pass. Like I on the same level as them and they aren't surprised that i know anything about football i mean you know what i mean this reminds me of like the yeah. gertrude
1: stein of the modernist era right mm-hmm. where like she was in the in the den with all of the men in paris you know smoking mm-hmm. cigars and whereas you mm-hmm. know her partner yeah. was in the kitchen making dinner there had to be some sort of like feminine counter it's a, this is really interesting to me i think that says something more broadly about football and the question of willful ignorance about the flaws of the system we believe in, you know, that we buy into, even when we know that it is wrong and that we're perhaps supporting something that is quite atrocious, um, there's something that we get out of it that even when we open our mouth to say the thing we think about the sport. I, as a Florida State player with the Jameis Winston rape You mean as a Florida State fan? What I say? A player.
3: player.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's you're just talking about. As a Florida State, I'm gonna say fan player. (laughs) Yeah, I mean you have a certain amount of like I know that there is something vastly disturbing about this, but I'm gonna just say it to acknowledge it, but then like still love my team. There's a problem there. Well, it's
0: like, Alex, what you were saying earlier, you know, is like, you couldn't go on being a Penn State fan at the, like, with the systemic problems that that team clearly demonstrated. Correct. And for me, it is hard because I don't, I mean, yes, the toxic masculinity of football is rampant and everywhere. I mean, it's also like a racist, classist, totally. Mm -hmm. More like, Mm
3: -hmm. blind,
0: patriotic, national sublimation. It's all the things I disagree with as a human. Mm -hmm. So interesting. (laughs) But then, like, we show up. The three of us in particular are on this side of the table. Chris and Alex and I have watched more football games together than practically anyone. And shout out to Ashley Yaley. Yeah, yeah. Ashley. Hey, girl. We miss you. <laughs> we miss you so much. But yeah, on we Stephanie's
3: show up, token. Yeah. We do. We show to up. To watch the games. And we scream. And we are excitable. Like, we are not, like, we're not just passive watchers. We are mega fans. But on Stephanie's token, bringing up Jameis Winston... I don't want to go there, but I have to go there. Because as a Florida State fan, when all that was going down, I found myself constantly defending him. Constantly. But like if he was anyone else, he wouldn't. Exactly. I don't know if that's just the psychology of fandom in general, or if that is an underlying misogynistic internalization of something that I have within myself as a female in the South. I don't know. But like Brock Turner, I'm not a fan of swimming. But, uh, so I don't defend him. But you see people in his life defending him.
4: But I think like it brings up the really interesting point of like, you can't like, right now, I think in, in this particular moment, when things are like very close to us, we make excuses. Yeah. We make excuses to continue to uphold systems like when we like them. <laughs> like when, when something is close enough and we love them, we make excuses for those players. We defend those players. We defend those fans. We blame those victims and we like uphold that system, right? But then when it's somebody else, when it's Brock Turner, yeah. we can all say that this guy is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, why is his father defending him? Why is his father talking about ribeye steaks when there's this girl who was raped and who's gonna have lifelong trauma? And like right? But when it's this guy at Florida State, like, we can say, but, well, maybe X, Y, Z instead. And so I think, like, that's something that we have to sort of come to terms with as, uh, like, that's a social problem that we're having that is, like, much more far-reaching than just football, though. I
0: have a question. Can we, as women, though, move the needle from the inside? Yes.
1: Lord, I hope so.
0: I think we can.
3: I think we can because I was thinking about this earlier. My sister, big Georgia Bulldogs fan, big football fan, like loves the dogs, has no affiliation to FSU whatsoever. Um, She was telling me that she has primarily female tailgates with her sorority sisters. I mean, she's not too big into her sorority, but like she's got a lot of friends outside of the sorority with her female football friends. And you know, she, she, her tailgates are, are very, they're, like, house-based. Like, she's got a big house in Athens with all her friends. So she invites all her lady fans over. They watch football together. It's a very empowering environment for women who are football fans because there's no creepy male gaze. So I think if more of that was taking place and if women genuinely felt empowered when they were watching sports as opposed to the anomaly then maybe it would change from the inside because you'd have more females feeling like they could maybe work in sports. Mm -hmm. Let me work for the NCAA.
0: Let me actually flip
3: the table. Jen Welter.
0: Isn't that her name? Jen Welter, who was the first NFL football coach in Arizona last year.
3: You need more of that. You need more estrogen in football like you need, a, you need more <laughs> seriously I think mean, it's the title of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> estrogen in football you, well, know you, like.
1: need, you
3: need more women who feel capable and, and knowledgeable enough about the game to be able to go in there and challenge the stereotypes and actually work in these roles and, and for all for, for lack of a better word change things from the inside because it's
0: never gonna change if we continue to have a male dominated organization. Well, here's, okay, so I have two questions. One, I, I think to get back to um, Chris's point, that as someone who presents like more masculine than feminine, like, then it also comes down to like gender performance within the sport mm-hmm. as a spectator as a coach as an athlete like there is something about if I just like put on my holly hobby apron and make pigs in a blanket and then like kind of try to still watch the game because I'm still like obligated to perform a certain version of femininity versus I just say like Like, fuck that. I'm watching the game. Mm -hmm. You know? I don't know. I mean, there's something in it in terms of that, to me, speaks to, like, bigger concerns about gender performance. And this is the other thing. Like, okay, so that gets me to my second point, which is a little bit like the um, Erin Andrews, right? Mm -hmm. The sportscaster for ESPN. Mm -hmm. who She clearly knows her stuff. She's fantastic. Got caught up in that horrible scandal with some guy spying in her hotel room. And, like even to be as knowledgeable she is as she is about the games, women are still put, they have to run on the field. It's always gotta be some like, like you said, like male gaze, like beautiful, like hair situation, running on the field, chasing after the coach to get his feedback, correct? How many times do we see women in the booth calling the game? Never. Never, they're always running on the field like a Chasing cheerleader assing. majorette. I really dislike when Men start to explain football, particularly to other women. And I hear them make a mistake. Um, Recently, I was in Massachusetts, and a guy who was very nice and was a Saints fan was explaining American football to this German guy. And he said something about, well, the quarterback's the only one who can pass the ball on the field. (laughs) And I was like, listeners, you should know that there was just a lot of eye rolling. (laughs) And I was like, no, that's not true, because if you run the Wildcat, you can snap to this. or You know, like, I was no, that's just wrong. Like, that means you don't understand the game. And I hate that idea that, like, somehow the intricacies of the offense and defense, like, the actual plays. One, yes, I am smart enough to understand it. And two, like, I enjoy the intricacy of the plays and the game. Like, I enjoy My vagina does not keep me from (laughs) understanding or enjoying the game as much as you, sir, with the penis. Like, it is not – there's not football understanding attached to a penis. Mm -hmm. Like, I've had so many men who just don't know the game as well as I do and just don't give me the credit, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, that – or they're like, oh, like, you know – You like the marching band, and I'm like, yeah, I like the march. I'm allowed to like the marching band. I also, yeah, like the game. You're allowed to like the whole experience. Exactly. You
3: don't have to pick and like just because you have a vagina does not. Yeah, exact everything you just said. I'm just echoing all of those sentiments. (laughs) Yes. As it turns out, vaginas do not prevent you from enjoying or understanding football. I can't word it any better than Gina just worded it. So,
4: last last year we had a person. In our season tickets, we had a guy that was a couple of hours back, and the entire season he just spouted misinformation. oh uh, Sorry, I don't to interrupt
0: each other. Like, <laughs> oh, I
3: hate that. And <laughs> like strategy and like, why
4: is he doing this? And it's like, well, he's doing this because like in my mind, I'm just like, well, he's doing this because like blah 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 blah. Like every decision, every coaching decision that was made like really loudly so that the entire section could hear was like openly challenging. Like, if we're gonna score this points and if we're gonna win this game, you gotta do x rising and it's like, well, maybe like he's actually like, maybe Paul Johnson is actually being paid a coaching salary because (laughs) he knows how to, a little more about coaching than you do. Maybe, fan, sitting five rows back from me.
1: Little known fact, (laughs) the penis comes with a mansplaining feature. And, and it, is
4: a man-spreading
1: feature. It, they both turn on at football games, <laughs> yeah. both of them. It's automatic. But then, like, so why, the why do we
0: continue to go? Like, I will be at every single either at, usually, North Island Pub. With us. Yes. Yeah. With Chris and Alex. Yep. We, oh. miss you, Ashley. Um, <laughs> yes. Or, like, I will be at the game. Why do I still go?
1: For the same reason we started this. Because we don't go for the men. We're not yeah. going for the gays. We're going because we love the shit out of our team and they better pull it out this year because we've been loving them for decades and it's about time they brought home the win. Like we're ready for that championship every year. I mean, speaking as a Florida State fan. <laughs> well,
4: and it's like so, it's so connected to like every one of us has. A story right like at the beginning we were all telling our stories like for every single one of us this like this is woven so much into like so many like personal details and personal experiences for us that like I think going like conjures up and connects us to our personal history while also like connecting us to all the people that are around us like both as fans and the people who are performing or playing and like I don't know. It just feels like very human and very like, um, like
0: I get very emotional. So what you're saying is, women <laughs> are full human beings <laughs> with all the range of emotions, um, as men,
3: heaven <gasps> forbid. But... And I mean, on that same token, I feel like. American the, the American way of life is so go 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 go. We're constantly working, we're constantly thinking about the future and sports is a natural way for us to regain that sense of like being able to just enjoy something with our fellow people. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah. so na- it's a natural response to a constant like hamster wheel of work. So mm-hmm. we're just as entitled to that as anybody else. And it's high time that society just recognized that.
0: Cheers. Cheers Cheers. to
1: that. (laughs) I think there's a real vicarious and visceral response to the game. Because there's a certain amount of violence. Let's admit that. And not just admit it, but talk about how it is the most central role, the most central element in my mind to football, is sort of the human-to-human encounter that takes place at the line of scrimmage. The war. Yes, the war that takes place in the middle. And I think there's a... There's a um, sort of vicarious, visceral experience that happens for the fan when he or she, she likely, um, is watching it, and it, I can't go hit this person that pissed me off in traffic, so instead I can come here and cheer for my Seminoles, and every time they beat the shit out of that Oklahoma, or the, not Oklahoma, that old Miss... You know, defensive line, which they're going to do tonight at 8 p.m. Yes, ma'am. Eastern, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's this It's this um, letting out of an emotional response that, like, I'm never going to have a moment where I can tackle a stranger across a line of scrimmage, so I'm going to enjoy it by watching someone else doing I it. I just
3: got chills with you talking about that. I'm like, yes, yeah. that is exactly
4: yeah. what it is. Destroy me! <laughs> yeah. <Right>? It's just <laughs> almost more necessary as a woman because, like because you're not allowed to be angry as a woman Mm -hmm. like you are not allowed to be like and there's so many infuriating things Mm there's so many people mansplaining so many people like telling you you know how to live your life like basic decisions about like should you be married should you have children should you have a job if you're not doing any or all of them, you're making the wrong decision all the so time. True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. Versus like all of the other things. But then also, you can't be mad. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not ladylike to be angry about anything. So you come to football and you watch people like be mad and angry and violent. And you're just like, yes. It's cathartic. right? right? Yeah. With, like, on a
3: very mm-hmm. human, even dare I say, carnal level. It's yeah. a very natural way to like. Deal with a world that is stacked against you constantly. So I feel you, girl. Mm-hmm. Cheers to that. Mm-hmm.
2: No, I, I think it's a good expression because you don't get it in other, uh, sports in general, but definitely football. I I mean I love yelling at the TV. I know it makes no difference, and I know Alex. Love game. <laughs> she, get, she gets on to me sometimes because they can't hear me. But <laughs> <laughs> but if I think they can hear me. <laughs> it makes me feel better you know <laughs> so um I, I don't know i just i i mean i love football i wanted to actually go back to something we were talking about earlier about women announcing football games mm-hmm. you never hear it and i actually heard a game it was actually a florida state game almost 10 years ago and it was i forgot who it was against it was a team—I won't say a nobody team—but a team that we weren't really concerned about. <laughs>
0: so, well, that's the only one they let. A woman that they would—that
2: they would let a woman call. And then when I was listening to it, even then I have to call myself out. I was uncomfortable listening to it because you have—it's a male-dominated sport. You grew up with it. You—you grew up with male announcers, and then you hear a woman talking about the different plays, and you're sitting here. Is she calling it right? Like it was awful. Like, and that was over like almost two decades ago for me. And I realized even after the game, I was like, "What's my problem? I'm not like this at all. Like, I love women. I mean, obviously, um, and they and I want them to be in careers like this. But you're you're so uh, when you you're conditioned. You're conditioned yeah, that's the word. You're just conditioned, and you, it's something that's unfamiliar, and so I can imagine just even now, if other women heard another woman announce a football game, they would probably have the same general reaction, original reaction, actually, just like, this doesn't seem right, and, and that's what we have to change. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, because it should never be like that. Even after, and I only thought it for like two seconds, and then I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" So I turned it up. I was like, "I've but never your heard." Immediate but reaction. my immediate reaction was, "This is weird. I don't know if I like that." Does anyone find it funny though? On that line, when I mean men, obviously are announcing the games all the time, but then they just say key words. They're just hilarious. Yeah, like you wouldn't say like. He just penetrated that guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they say that, and I'm like, wait,
3: wait he penetrated the line. <laughs> they are saying, yeah, they really do say it penetrated
0: a lot. A I lot. Think, I think what we're saying is maybe there's not a feminine way to play no. the games, but a less hyper-masculine Correct. way to, yeah, because like... There is an
3: objective way to call a game versus oh, yeah. an ob- versus a subjectively male way to call a game that I think we're not necessarily used to as a society. We're very used to a male, a very male-dominated, like, when you think of football, you think of, like, a grizzly... Get it in. Yeah. yeah. Penetration. I
1: don't know. But, like... <laughs> I had an ex who used to shout, kill him, kill him, every time <laughs> someone, a running back, was making a breakaway for kill them. Him. So, kill him, kill him. <laughs> like, oh, homicide is appropriate. Yeah. Oh, okay. But see, that's the thing is, like, I mean,
0: I... But how do we hold these two things in view? Like, one, yes, like, I think football gives, especially as women, it gives us an amazing sublimation of anger. Because I would say... If we have to choose a sex on this earth that deals with more ridiculousness that we might feel angry about and have no outlet to, like, really express it or you're that bitch at work or whatever, Mm -hmm. it is really nice to go somewhere where you can be like, kill him, kill him. But when I listen to, like, whatever Yahoo on the TV talking about killing and penetration, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) Like, I just don't... I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just hard to separate the game from gender performance and interpolation.
1: And from regional identification, because there's definitely, I mean, it's interesting to hear you, Alex, talk about living in the North and then coming to the South and realizing that it's a religion. And I spent a lot of time thinking about this podcast before we got here and asking myself, do I think college football in the South is really that big of a deal because it is or because I want it to be, and I'm making it into that. I will follow that up with the perception of the SEC as the seat of all college brilliance, right? College football genius is happening in that particular conference. And we've seen, especially in the last few years, this repeated dethroning of the SEC. And I ask myself, is that part of the same Southern myth? that there is this glory assigned to the region that is perception, that is produced. I mean, the rankings are produced by perceptions of college football coaches who are just, you know, so it's all perception. It's not necessarily hard facts that tell us. And every first weekend, just like we saw this weekend, we see a bunch of people be
0: So, let's go around. Who's going to be national champions?
2: Well, I'm, I'm hoping Florida State will. <laughs> and we will prove it tonight.
0: But, if you had to go
3: based on what you know, not what you feel, <laughs> objectively, who do you think is going to be the national champion?
2: Florida State. I have
3: no idea. I honestly... I'm the type of person I need proof. I need more gains. I need trying times. I need difficulty. I need resilience. And I need my I need teams to like show me that they can bounce back from hardship before I can answer that question. But if I'm saying what I feel, go Knowles.
0: Kelly? I mean we like
4: obviously you guys are just voting for the teams you like so
0: you don't have a you don't have to do that yeah also rooming georgia tech's not going to win the national championship georgia
4: tech is obviously going to win the national championship that is not
0: true that is not obvious
4: it's so obvious
0: how (laughs) no seriously who do you think
3: stands the best chance i just really hope it's not alabama like, that's all I can really say. I so
0: think that's
4: an easier question, yeah. right? Like, you we, hope it's not. people have played one game. I really
0: hope that it's not Clemson. I don't hate Clemson. But Auburn showed up to that game without an offense at all. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're just trying to be nice and save someone's feelings, or you just couldn't figure out which quarterback, and you're hoping one really proves himself. The offense was virtually non-existent. on Johnson is really good running back, and maybe we can build an offense around that. But the fact that we were within one touchdown against Clemson either means we have the best defense that college football has ever seen or Clemson is not that good. It can't be any other thing. No, you're right. It makes no – so I don't think Clemson's going to win. I'm – Obviously, always concerned about Alabama in the Nick Saban era. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that, like, someone really shows themselves.
3: Same. That's how I'm – that's where I'm at right now. I don't want to say Alabama because, logically, this sucks to say, so we all hate Alabama, but Alabama's usually nine times out of ten, especially when they're ranked number one in the beginning of the season. The number one pick. For national champions, but there's a lot to be said yet in the season, and you know something could happen. There could be injuries. God willing, there's not, but you know, you don't know. Yeah, I would really love it if
4: somebody not in the SEC won.
3: Agreed. Like, like State. Ohio just,
4: State. No,
1: like, I mean, I'm just, no, I'm not I'm just saying, but I'm thinking about They're the national really championship nice. when we sent. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Florida State went up and we were demolished. Embarrassingly, two years ago in the first oh, playoff sorry. by Oregon, yeah. and Ohio State just obliterated Alabama. Like yeah. that wasn't even. We all thought Alabama, Alabama, and then oh, so another conference might have some talent. That, that but this for have Urban Meyer though.
0: It's Urban Meyer took SEC football to Ohio State Correct. with some corn-fed Midwestern mm-hmm. boys. Yeah, that's so true. I remember when he went to Ohio State. Well, he faked that heart, heart attack. attack. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew that. Um, yeah.
2: So, I mean, okay, Stephanie. Ride or die, Florida State. This is come on, this is our year. Okay, with the rankings, how they are, and how historically things have played out. Not saying it's foolproof, but we're in a good spot to actually do it. And but if you look at the other teams and how people played this weekend, you would say Alabama. But then, it was I think Alabama it could was be upset. Totally a domination. But,
0: Although Oklahoma State didn't play anyone exciting, right? But they put up seventy-seven points. Yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. major.
1: We haven't seen Florida State yet, though. No, so I think that that's a huge question. So on, it depends with the new freshman
2: quarterback. Yeah, the yeah, I mean, so. it all depend on tonight and how he plays will determine whether I think they would win the national championship or not because, it I mean, that plays a huge factor.
1: I will remind us that we won the national championship when Jameis was a freshman. Correct. And that we do best when we are not ranked one, but when we come from behind. And we have this juggernaut, supposedly, in Clemson ahead of us. And we have the number third most difficult schedule. Imagine that in the ACC this season. So I think that so long as we get our head down, play one team at a time, beat one team at a time. I think we're national contenders. I think we can pull it out.
0: I don't I think y'all will handedly beat Clemson, having just watched them. Mm-hmm. I was not particularly impressed. I went into I know the spread the spread was seven and a half points.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I went into the stadium saying if we leave this game fifty four seventeen, I'll like I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was going to be... Because and there was no offense. Well, and I'm also... I'm an optimist, but I just... I I don't... I haven't had, like, a certain amount of confidence in what I've heard coming out of, like, Auburn reporting about our team this year. And the fact that we were so close... I mean, as my mother said this morning, no one can tell anything from the first game. It's always true. Right. Becky Kaysen really knows her football. Yeah. But... I don't think that Clemson is going to be the scary force in the ACC that people are expecting. I could be wrong. I'm also a little worried uh, our next big game at Auburn is Texas A&M, and I think Mm -hmm. that they may look surprisingly
1: good this season. Well, you saw them. I mean, they look phenomenal this season. I mean, on Saturday night they were. I'm concerned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have reason to be. They're outstanding, and I'm really impressed. I mean, a, a, a tie back for me might Louisville High School was modeled after Texas A&M. So our Go Farmers Aggie situation is like because our parent institution is A&M. So I silently pull for the Aggies. I think you have a lot to pull to be worried about there too.
0: I I am concerned. I do Mm -hmm. think that y'all are going to beat Ole Miss tonight. Um, I would hope. But we'll see. I mean, Hugh Freeze has done – I mean, the infinite cheater that he is, he has done a lot of things with his – shoddy ethics over the years. Well, don't count Florida State out on
1: that game. (laughs) Correct.
0: (laughs) I mean, I feel like y'all might not only be just as shoddy in terms of your ethics, but also better players.
1: (laughs) And
2: better recruiters. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, you're recruiting out of Florida, which I think is probably a better field.
2: Chris? Well, then I I feel like um, one team you have to look out for, too, is Houston. They've always shown up. Um, and they weren't ranked, and they end up in the top 15 or 10 by the end of the season, and they beat Oklahoma, which was supposed to be really good this year. So they could they could be in it. Like, also, it was Like Johnson. TCU last, Basically last year. Basically what we're saying yeah. is
3: that there's really no – literally there's no way to predict who's going to win right now the national championship. It's important to keep your eyes on the outlier teams because traditionally – There have been some Big Ten teams that have come out of the woodwork and, like, Mm -hmm. demolished halfway through the season. All of a sudden, they get their game on and they Mm -hmm. start. I can't even think of any off the top of my head right now because I've been so engrossed in learning about Florida State. But, I mean, we just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take – I know it's going to take another couple of weeks before we can get a good sense because the rankings tend to change drastically in the first couple of weeks. So, Mm -hmm. based on recruiting alone right now, I would say Alabama. But – If we're talking, in history, not necessarily recruiting, but historically, like Stephanie was saying, Florida State has come from behind with our freshman quarterbacks. We're great at recruiting traditionally.
0: There's a shot for us. Jimbo's a great coach. Yep. I also, the other big, Wisconsin beating LSU on Saturday. Yep.
3: I forgot about that case. Do you think, Kelly,
0: (laughs) I mean, you are in Baton Rouge. I worried the LSU is distracted by the flooding. Is that a factor?
4: I mean, I think that traditionally, like, when there's some sort of natural disaster, people sort of welcome, like, that as an escape. I mean, I think LSU's big problems that they have Leonard Fournette and really nothing else. Right? Like, their team is pretty much, like, get the ball Leonard Fournette, who is, like, easily the best, one of the best players. The best
0: 40-year-old playing college football right now. (laughs) Right.
4: Like, the best player period i think we can all say.
0: He's fantastic.
4: But you can have the best player and if you don't have like a at least a good team supporting him, like what good is that? Like
0: especially if the team's not stepping up. Yeah. Right? If they I mean, I watched a little bit of that LSU Wisconsin game before I went into the Auburn stadium and it looked like LSU just wasn't waking up. Like, look, Wisconsin is about to be. And granted, that is a home game for Wisconsin, Lambeau Field. That is like has all the like affect of energy to go into oh, a win, yeah. right? Lambeau
3: Field—it's like it, so steeped in history and just like so nostalgic on every
0: level. One, well, it's also not like twenty below there yet, so right. everyone can like cheer. weather. Yeah. yeah, but it LSU looked sleepy. It looked like they looked like a sleepy team. Like they weren't taking it seriously that Wisconsin, who's unranked at this point, right, going into the opening week, that they were going to be LSU. But that, like,
4: my experience with LSU football is that, is sort of like that, though. Like, when they're playing really tough games, they're not very impressive. They are consistently disappointing when it comes to, like, pulling it out in a clutch. And like actually like proving their worth, right? And then they play like teams like the University of Kentucky and they beat them handily, right? Like fifty some to three. Final score. So they have like a team of like really talented athletes who for whatever reason just don't have whatever it takes to be motivated to be like a real true like working together team to play, to like cooperate on to make them a contender for some sort of like actual title or like actual championship. And and like that's that's what I've seen for like the past 2 years is like every time it's like, "Oh yeah, LSU has a really good team. Like they could be something. They could be something. We have some momentum." And then like like done. Oh, we just lost this game and now we're losing all the games.
0: Yeah, like losing to Wisconsin is going to be demoralizing. Stephanie,
1: I would just find it hard to believe, knowing how regionally specific recruiting is, that the players weren't affected by the flooding. And so I can imagine how stupid a football game feels if your parents just
2: lost everything.
0: Football really can seem like a stupid game, but it's also incredibly serious, and I hope our discussion this week has maybe helped you think about your relationship to football and your relationship to the women in your life who have a relationship with football. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. Kelly Vines is our co-producer. We'd like to thank our special guests this week, Chris, Stephanie, and Alex. Our music is by Brian Horton. You can find his music at brianhorton.com. Please subscribe to About South on your preferred podcast platform. And please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and join us on Facebook. We'd love to hear your feedback. Next week, we're talking to Allie Errant about being an old maid. And also... Happy birthday, Allie. We'll see you next week.